Good morning, everyone. I'm John, and I'm a sinner. You're getting good at that. Thank you for the encouragement. And I know it's no surprise to anybody that I'm a sinner. After all, we've been through five steps, haven't we, in this uh, message series called The Road, and it's The Road to Recovery, as we've adapted and we're applying the 12 steps of the Alcoholics Anonymous, but we apply it to our life in Christ, our following Jesus. I'm always amazed how God can take our human plans, though they may be feeble and short-sighted, and He does more than we could ever imagine, the impact and the significance. And that's what struck me as I was preparing for today to bring the message that in light of all that's going on around us, with the uh, continuing news of what we need to do in response to the coronavirus, all the way from uh, schools closing to people not going to work, they're told to stay home, uh, to public gatherings being canceled, uh, and we're seeing the effects all around us. We're told to wash our hands for 20 seconds. And if you haven't heard this already, it's been passed around. But if you pray the Lord's Prayer a little bit fast, that's about 20 seconds. So every time you wash your hands, just pray the Lord's Prayer. Wouldn't that be awesome just to lift up more and more prayer? I can't think of a better way to respond. Because there's been panic, tell you the truth. And fear can easily grip our hearts as we consider what's happening around us. And the impact has been more than just health, it's been our economy. And I know many people are very fearful. But today we focus our hearts and our minds on our living God. The almighty God who spoke everything into existence. Think of that. He spoke the word and now we have life. And he's the same God who sits on the throne, who loves us, who cares for us. And rather than focusing on the fear, what an awesome time to focus rather on the goodness and presence and power of our God. And that's exactly what happens in step number six. It teaches us how to respond to life around us. So I'm so glad that you're present to hear this message. I'm so glad that we're going to have live stream today that will be able to go to people who stayed at home and they can hear the message. And so let's do a quick review of this step so far. Step number one, we admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors and that our lives had become unmanageable. We can't fix ourselves. We need God's saving help. Step number two tells us that. We came to believe that only Jesus could restore us to sanity. Isn't that even more true in light of today? He restores us to sanity. And step number three, we made a spirit-led decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. I think that's an excellent way to start every single day. Just turn yourself over to the care of God. Trust in Him and take hold of Him by faith. And then step four, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. <laughs> Why did we do that? So we would no longer live in denial that we cannot blame circumstances or other people for what's wrong in our lives, but we would take ownership. And then step five, we heard just last Wednesday, we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. 
Honestly, I think this is the most difficult. You really have to humble yourself to tell God. That might be even the easy part. Tell ourselves and tell a trusted person the exact nature of our wrongs. Because it would be easy for us to think that that means that now forever we'll live with this stained life of shame. And the truth is it's just the opposite. Because instead, what we'll receive is the word of forgiveness and freedom. And forgiveness is powerful. Do you know that? In my research, I came across a director of a mental hospital who said that half of his patients would be able to go home and live a fulfilling life if they knew just one thing, if they knew they were forgiven. It's powerful because forgiveness sets the stage for restoration that sets the stage for life change. It's like John wrote about, and we've confess these words many times in 1 John chapter 1 where it says if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us but if we confess our sins God who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness just think he gives us right standing with God is that good or what and we're only through five steps you got seven more to go. So we're looking at step six today. And step six prepares us now to take action based upon the freedom that we have through the forgiveness of Christ. And so you must understand that our goal is not just to know that we're forgiven and that's it. Our goal is now to be on the road to recovery, to live a life differently than we have lived, to live it by the power of God working in us. Confession isn't all about just feeling better about ourselves. If you reduce it to that, you put it in the same category as vomiting, okay? Nobody likes to vomit, but you sure feel better afterwards, don't you? And so some people see confession as the same thing. And so you can get stuck in this loop of confession, forgiveness, Failure, confession, forgiveness, failure, and nothing changes. And here's what I can tell you, and I hope you're ready for this takeaway today. It's really profound, but here it is. If nothing changes, nothing changes. Aren't you glad I shared that? God is interested in bringing change to us, to bringing life, a life that is new and that reflects Jesus more and more. It's like James wrote in James chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so confession is vital so that we're not living in denial of our responsibility of sin and that we need forgiveness. But that's not the end of the story. Well, if confession doesn't change us, why do we confess? Well, one uh, writer and speaker uh, put it this way. Carrie Newoff says, you won't address what you don't confess. So we confess it in order to address it. So what is it you need to address? What destructive sin pattern needs to be broken in your life? It needs to be removed. What do you need to stop doing that you're 
currently doing in order to more fully live your life in Jesus? Or what do you need to start doing that you haven't been doing? What attitudes do you have that, quite frankly, are toxic and harmful to you and to those around you? Is it anger? Anxiety? Fear? I mean, fear has really moved people to take some rather extreme actions, haven't they? I mean, buying a year's worth of toilet paper really isn't normal. And so, how are you doing with this? What is it that needs to change? And now that brings us to step number six. We're entirely ready to have God remove all those defects of character, those defects that we confessed, that we admitted. Now, I want you to catch this. The beginning of change starts on the inside, not the outside. Did you catch it? It's in the word ready. Are we entirely ready? What I'm fascinated by is step six doesn't say, will you have God remove all your sinful defects that are built into your character? It doesn't say that. It says, are you entirely ready? You see, your thinking has to be changed. What happens in the mind is very important. You have to reorient what you focus on in your life. Did you know there's a biblical word for that? We use it quite often. A biblical word that talks about the necessity for us to change the way we think. That biblical word is the word repent. You see, the New Testament Greek word for repent is metanoia. Meta means change. You've heard that word, metamorphosis. There's a change that takes place. And the word noe comes from the word noose, which means mind. I remember that because I think of our noodles, okay? So that's your mind. And we are to have a change of mind, a change in thinking, a reorientation of how we're looking at life and its circumstances. And instead of seeing it from our perspective, we look at it from God's perspective, His Word and His presence in our lives. So when the Scripture uses this word, for example, Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 18, it says, repent, turn away from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. So turn away, reorient your life, look at life as God sees it. And then Jesus began his ministry with this. He knew that the preparation of the mind was so important. His very first words, it's recorded in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the inaugural of his ministry. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. It's right here. How can you experience God's kingdom? And by the way, kingdom just means the king's domain. It's where the king is, where he is present. You want to experience the presence of God? How do you do it? Repent. It doesn't mean just sorrow, though that can be part of it. It means change your thinking. Whatever you think is right according to your own natural abilities is probably wrong. 
And in Jesus' day, the thought was, if we could all keep the commandments, the kingdom of God would be restored among us. If we performed well enough, God would then show up. And they had it wrong. We're powerless, remember. We can't fix ourselves. That's law-oriented. What Jesus said is, you've got to rethink the whole thing. It's not what you do. It's what God does. And by grace, the grace of God in Christ, my presence comes to you. So the mindset really matters. It really makes a difference. Are you ready, entirely ready, to have God remove those defects of character. It's amazing to me how the Bible talks about mindset. Colossians 3 says it this way, set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. Romans 8 says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Your mindset results in what you're thinking about. It goes on to say, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Your mindset makes a difference. You know, the athletic world has really learned this. They don't call it mindset. You know what they call it? Visualization. Where athletes will think through how to flawlessly perform their athletic skill. There's a psychologist from Australia, Alan Richardson, who decided to do a test on the power of visualization of your mindset. So he gathered basketball players and he put them in three different groups. One group would practice free throws all day long. The other group would merely visualize free throws. They never actually threw a free throw. They just visualized it and they saw it in their mind. Another group, they didn't practice and they didn't visualize. Now the results were quite stunning because did you know that those who visualized only had a marked improvement in their free throw shooting? Almost as good as those who practiced all day. But those who didn't visualize or practice, guess what? They got worse. There's a power to what your mindset is. If you set your mind on being a generous person because your mind is fixed on the generosity of God who's provided all that we need, and you understand that everything we have is a gift and all we do is respond to him with our tithes and offerings, that mindset will probably result more likely in your being generous in your giving. It's not like when the... the the offering plate's passed around. It's not an instinctive, immediate reaction. It goes, oh, I'm going to tithe. It's a mindset that you have ahead of time. Setting your mind on sexual purity before marriage will make a difference when you find yourself in the heat of the passion, the heat of the moment with passion with someone that you know you're not going to marry. It helps you Stick to the commitment of what you know is the right thing for you. The mindset that all people are created by God and valuable in his eyes will make a difference in how you treat people. Versus the idea that 
I really think I'm more valuable than everybody else. Now, I never would say that. But I'm out for survival. When I get fearful, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to care about me. And I think we see a lot of that panic going on. How about we set our mind on the things of God? My daughter-in-law sent an amazing uh, saying to us last night. She texted this. Is this, in this time of coronavirus, yes, wash your hands, but also wash the feet of those in need. How can we serve them? What is your mind set on? Because what we set our mind on is indeed going to have an impact on how we live our life. Are you setting your mind on the faithfulness and goodness of God as you hear more and more of the news that's going on and the fears that are gripping people? Set your mind on Him who loves you, that He would bring about a change in you. And then it says, entirely, entirely be ready. Are you entirely ready to have God remove those toxic attitudes, those sinful behaviors? Because what God desires is this, is that we would have the removal of the things that don't work in our lives, the things that bring death instead of life. And the change must begin, as I said, on the inside. Someone who really understood this was a man whose life was dramatically changed. His name is Paul. The Apostle Paul, prior to being confronted by Jesus, had a mindset of I am worth more than others because of my keeping the commands of God. He was controlling, he was angry, and he blamed Christians for the fact that he was not a happy man. And then he confronted Jesus. <laughs> and when Jesus confronted him, he realized, I am powerless to save myself. He took an inventory of his life and he realized, I am a sinner. And I deserve death, but by the grace of God, I'm saved. And as Paul, who wrote these words, it's Romans chapter 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The world tries to conform us. It's easy to get caught in this pressure to react like everybody else. But how about we would say, God, would you transform my mind? It's transformed by the power of the gospel. It's transformed by the message that God indeed is a God of love who will never leave us or forsake us. We heard it in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 that put it this way. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love, a love so great that he took upon himself our sin and paid the price. There is no sin, there is no death, and there's no coronavirus that can separate us from the saving love of Jesus Christ. The gospel changes everything. And that's the good news that he's given to us. 
So the question for you is, are you entirely ready to have God remove the sin-induced defects of character in your life? How you think, what you do, how you respond. In other words, will you repent? Will you allow the love of God in Christ to so capture your heart that you know beyond a doubt you can't lose? The rest of Romans, Romans 8, 1 and following, put it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Right now we stand in this wonderful relationship, even now, where God indeed has said, I have made you right in my eyes. You have access to me. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Could it be that God Almighty is able to take such times as this and move us to shine like never before, letting the world know that we have hope in the love of God shown to us, demonstrated to us in Jesus Christ? For such a time as this. And it goes on that we... Glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So how about it? Ready to settle the issue now? Set your mind. Are you entirely ready? To have God remove those things in you that have separated you from the life he gives. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank and praise you for your amazing love to us. And indeed, this road to recovery is a road to the cross. Where we see the greatest demonstration of love that the world has ever seen. And Lord, as we gather today, just remind us of that love. That, oh God, we would be gripped not by fear but by faith. That we understand that this is a time not to, not to hoard and not to grab and to panic. This is a time to consider how we might serve and we might bring your peace and your love to others. So, Lord, my prayer for each of us is this. Give us a clean heart, O God, and renew our minds. Set our minds on you and your will. And yes, Lord, do whatever needs to be done to remove the sinful defects that trip us up and cause us to fall. For to this day, this day, we say we're entirely ready. We repent. And we let go of making life about ourselves. And we pray that our life would be all about you. For in you, we have the fullness of life. Thank you for hearing our prayers and for your steadfast love with us even now. In Jesus' name, amen.